0: Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the Double Edge Double Bill. This week, Pixar must be brave for Toy Story. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 or to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam Thomas, and you got a
1: friend in me. And I'm Thomas Mariani, and I'm trash!
0: <laughs> yeah, hey, well, I mean, no, yeah,
1: mine was a lie. Yours is true. One of us is telling the truth, one of us is telling a lie. Who is it? Who could it be? Yeah, right. Uh, but welcome, everybody, to The Double-Edged Devil, Double Bill, where every week uh, Adam and I cover a good and a bad feature related to a topic, uh, usually related to something uh, relevant in terms of the film world. And uh, this time, Adam, we're doing a topic we've done before, years ago, uh, but we're coming back to it. Uh, we're doing Pixar in honor of Lightyear, and very heavy quotation marks around honor with Lightyear.
0: Yeah... Uh, I think that's the movie that I never, ever wanted. (laughs) Like, and I don't know that a lot of people did.
1: I mean, I don't know. I'm curious to see how that does, if nothing else, because I've at least heard from other folks around my age who aren't maybe as movie savvy about just like, oh, it's like the, the Toy Story adjacent nostalgia, I guess, might be there for them. Even though it's like, guys, I remember Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, the Saturday morning cartoon from the early 2000s. It's just kind of this, but you're making it more of like a modern blockbuster as opposed to even the fun, dumb Saturday morning cartoon that that previously was.
0: Yeah, and it's what, Chris Evans?
1: Right, it's Chris Evans, uh, the the, the <laughs> author of one of my favorite dumb tweets about just like, oh no, just to be sure, this isn't about the toy Buzz Lightyear, it's about the real person the toy is based on.
0: <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah. I think i he cleared that up.
1: Of course, yes, that's for everybody out there. <laughs> You know, despite some of those misgivings about Lightyear, um, we're generally fans of Pixar. Uh, Obviously, Adam, you're a fan of the, the animation studio and its various films that have come out since 1995.
0: Oh, sure. They've made a million dollars. Yes, I like Pixar. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you keep going back to this well about the million dollars.
0: I know <laughs> it's my favorite. It's my favorite new thing.
1: Uh, but to be fair, the actual gross—just a little Pixar factoid—the all the Pixar films since 1995 have made a cumulative gross of 14.7 billion dollars worldwide. It was pretty close. Uh, yeah, you yeah, know, give or take a few cents. Uh, carry yeah. it for Whatever, you got it. Keep in mind, some of those obviously weren't theatrical releases, especially as of recent, uh, with, like, your Souls and your Lucas being exclusively on Disney Plus and such. Uh, in the 20 years since the Best Animated Feature category has been at the Oscars, uh, Pixar has won 11 times, and two of the three only animated films that have been nominated for Best Picture were Pixar movies with Toy Story 3 and Up. The thing is, Adam, like, you know, I I try and be the guy on here where it's just like, oh, I don't know, I'm a bit more wary of nostalgia, even my own nostalgia, but at the same time, I rewatched, like, most of these Pixar movies uh, in the time since our last episode, and I gotta say, the run from the original Toy Story to The Incredibles, when I was watching those movies again, I just realized, I know these fucking movies by heart. Like, I had these movies on either VHS or eventually the DVD transition, and then especially, like, they would play constantly at, like, birthday parties, at times at school where the teacher didn't want to do anything, they would put those on.
0: Ice cream and malt shops, the roller rinks.
1: Right, at yeah, the sock hops, of course. <laughs> the sock hops, Pixar of course.
0: Yeah, yeah. The drive-in burger joint. Yeah, of course, man.
1: <laughs> As Woody says in Toy Story 3 when he's thinking of big college activities, I'll see you at the sock hop. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah no um those those movies i know so perfectly and then even the ones that came after they have mostly been quite good i will admit that i think around like 2011 when you get you know your cars twos you start getting like the the big sequel prequel stuff um at that time it becomes more of like a darker murkier period for pixar but i would say as of recent with particularly like this year's turning red i'd say uh pixar has been a a bit more of an upswing than they have in previous years a bit more consistency
0: yeah, I definitely agree. I mean probably since Soul came out, they've been pretty much. I mean, I've liked everything they've put out. Uh, you know, Soul, Luca, Turning Red, obviously. That just yeah, they're they're definitely uh, sort of hitting a second stride, maybe.
1: And I'm curious, Adam, as someone who obviously like loves anime, sort of the that the Pixar trend ever since like 1995, they came out with the first feature length. Uh, computer-animated film with Toy Story. And then from there, we've had a lot of imitators, and we've seen sort of, like, the fall of traditional animation. Do you think Pixar maybe hurt animation a bit more than we give credit for? Or do you think it's it's just more a problem of, like, it, it don't hate the player, hate the game?
0: Uh, I think it's more don't hate the player, hate the game. I mean, when you think about it logically, this, it was going to go this route eventually. I mean, with the creation of sort of CGI, full CGI-realized characters and things like that, it was eventually going to happen. You know, the thing is, you can have both. You could do both. And sometimes when they do both, it really succeeds. So I don't really, you know, hold anything against them. I think they just did what was naturally coming.
1: Yeah, and then even then, like, at the time when Pixar was starting up, like, the the interesting fact is just that Pixar started originally as just, like, a software company, basically, that George Lucas spun out of, like, his various technological... Ideas, And then he sold it off to Steve Jobs, who then started getting the ball rolling with, you know, some of the bigger, like, opening people at Pixar, like Andrew Stanton, Pete Docter, a couple people that are still there, and John Lasseter. Yeah. What I really love is the fact that, like, Pixar has sort of taken more the idea with animation that, like, Brad Bird, who made The Incredibles, obviously, has said this many times, that, like, animation is not a genre, animation is a medium, And you can make whatever out of that. And even though most of the Pixar movies have stuck to being, you know, very family-friendly, they, at least at the same time, have shown the different range that you can do with, like, even the uh, computer technology. Where from the original Toy Story, they made, like, this adventure movie. And then all the other ones have had, you know, mixes of comedy. But you get, like, you know, these bigger fantasy stories or these superhero stories and anything else. I think they've shown at least that you can be diverse and tell genuinely great stories, with this medium that aren't just mainly appealing to kids it's a it's a thing that can appeal to everybody
0: i mean yeah i agree but the thing is it's 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 not like that hasn't been like that for kind of ever at this point with animated movies i mean all the original disney classics and everything i mean i agree with him that it's not a genre it's a medium but I think, I mean, I mean, honestly, for the most part, unless we're talking about like Japanese animation or, you know, there are some adult anime, but for the most part, when you think of animated movies, don't you think of family-friendly movies?
1: I think Western-wise, yeah, that, that tends to be the case. But even then, Pixar was like very adamant about like changing what animation was to that point, to the point where like when Tom Hanks got hired for Toy Story, he's like, I don't know why you want me to do an animated movie. I can't sing. Things were so specific, like the Disney musical aesthetic that Pixar even changed it to that degree where it's like oh it doesn't have to be like a thing with at least five songs in it that are sung by the characters of course they were sung by Randy Newman um, on his own (laughs) talking about the events that are going on in the film Uh, but yeah even that I would argue was a pretty substantial change in the 90s compared to like most western animation because I I don't think you have as many films like a Pixar film prior to like that mid 90s era when they started coming up. Yeah I mean yeah
0: I guess I gotta fucking agree
1: (sighs) Yeah, Reluctant Agreement, my favorite kind. Hey. I hate this shit. fucking hate this shit. <laughs> well, let's get ready for an entire episode where uh, basically at the end of the last one, Adam and I picked a good and a bad feature related to the topic, in this case being Pixar films, although uh, our bad pick was uh, between my two choices, but ended up being chosen in a poll by our patrons, patreon.com slash dedbpod. Stay tuned. If you're near the end of the show, where we'll talk about that a bit more, uh, who ultimately chose Brave which will be our bad pick. And then your good pick uh, we'll talk about, which is Toy Story 4. But uh, let's go ahead and get into our first feature, Brave.
0: I saw something that day, something I'll not forget. It stands 12 feet tall, this face scarred with one dead eye. I drew my sword and... shot. Dad's leg was clean off! Oh,
1: that's my favourite part! (laughs) In accordance with our laws, the firstborn of each of the great leaders must prove their worth. I want my freedom! But are you willing to pay the price your freedom will cost?
0: Careful what you wish for, my mother would say. (laughs) What's the worst that can happen? If you had the chance to change your fate, would you?
1: So uh, Brave came out June 22nd, 2012, uh, from directors Brenda Chapman and Mark Andrews, which uh, is kind of a big crucial element of this story, Um, if you're unaware, is that this story, Brave, which is mainly about Merida, who is this uh, princess of this kingdom, um, who is at like, constant odds with her mother, the queen, played by Emma Thompson, um, about, oh, you have to be betrothed off to somebody else in a, from a different kingdom, and they're going to come over here, and there's going to be sort of an event, a game to win your hand, basically. And Merida's more of like an outdoorsy type who likes to you know use her bow and arrow and ride around on her horse. Is like, you know what, I'm going to play for my own hand, because the firstborn child of a kingdom can play for the hand of Merida. A bit of a feuding point with her and her mother there. And then some magical shenanigans happen. This is basically Pixar's fantasy medieval movie. Um, and uh, the big sort of conflict when this movie uh, was in production was it was originally uh, directed by just Brenda Chapman, who uh, was known before this for being like a big Disney like story person, like worked in The Lion King, and di- directed uh, Prince of Egypt um, in the 1990s. Uh, and then this is going to be her, like, First big thing with Pixar, it was going to be a big story about her and her daughter, and uh, shocker that she had issues with Mr. John Lasseter. She left the project because she butted heads with him a lot, and Mark Andrews took over, and that's what resulted in Brave, which I know had a lot of Defenders particularly at the time, but I would argue was one of the more, not necessarily bad Pixar movies, but sort of frustrating Because I would argue you can see the good movie in there if maybe the main director had been kept on board and actually been able to relay her vision. But Adam, what about your thoughts on Brave?
0: I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's, it's, I don't want to call it a bad movie. It's just frustrating because of the sort of unevenness of the whole thing. Because, I mean, it's gorgeous to look at. The voice acting's all stellar, top-notch stuff. It's high fantasy, and then it's a mother and a daughter, and it's all this stuff. And then you got, like, the squirrely little kids. And all that, it just, none none of it ever seems to really completely gel together. Uh, Which is a shame, because I I do think it looks great. I love the character design of Meridia with the, you know, the giant curly red hair. It's a really good mess. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Really good mess, Put on the Blu-ray, baby. I guess I could see that. I think there are good elements to Brave. I think the trouble is just that, like, with a Pixar movie especially, like, in the years prior to this, like, keep in mind, this is them following directly up Cars 2, so this is a huge step up, by comparison to that, necessarily. Uh, but in the larger history of Pixar, what was always so great is, even though they were these animated movies that often, you know, animated movies can be dismissed as just kids' fair, in a way where it's like, oh, we don't have to work that hard to put together a concrete, like, really well-developed story in the middle of this. We can just kind of, like, throw off whatever and it'll be fine. I don't think that's what this movie is. But it feels like there are so many, like, good cul-de-sacs or sort of, like, plot points, and it's just the connecting material isn't really there. Like, I really like the opening bit of this movie, where you get a sense of, like, okay, is this free spirit, and she's going around on her own, and that conflicts with her mother, and even, like, her father. is He's supposed to be the king, who is the ultimate ruler, but Emma Thompson's queen really runs the show, basically. I like a lot of elements of that, and even when, like, the neighboring kingdoms come in, and there's a bit of fun interplay between them, but really... It's just the moment they get to the thing that was not in any of the advertising, the thing I had no idea about until I ultimately saw the movie in the theater, was that uh, Merida's mother, the queen, turns into a bear because of a magical sort of misunderstanding with the spell that Merida gets from a witch who lives in, like, this weird cottage that disappears whenever these wispy things aren't there. And I think that's where it gets kind of, like, frustratingly more just, like, cartoonish in a way that, like, you know, it's an animated film, but it feels like the movie just changes style into more of this, like, wacky hijinks movie as opposed to this fancy narrative that had, like, funny character-based, like, humor to it. But then it becomes like, oh, mom's a bear and she can't move around because she's way bigger than she usually is. This is so silly, and it's just like, this this change doesn't work for me.
0: I mean, yeah, I, I absolutely 100% agree with you there. Uh, it, uh, it just becomes, like you said, sort of stereotypical, go for the cheap joke animation. Like, oh, oh, she fell down the stairs, but she still got her crown on. (laughs) Yeah, and nowhere in the trailer, I mean, you're 100% right, was alluded to this, like, curse that turns the mother into a bear and she's got two days or whatever. And the kind of telling that they left that out.
1: Yeah, I get what on some base level that twist could end up being, where just like, oh, this, you know, sort of queen who has this high regality and authority ends up becoming... A creature of some sort that doesn't really have that kind of regality, that could be, in theory, a fun idea, but I think the two biggest mistakes are, one, getting rid of Emma Thompson's voice, which, any time you steal lines out of Emma Thompson's mouth, I feel bad about that, but also, that kind of, like, actually having maybe the connection be that, like, oh, she's still human and can talk as a bear, but maybe she's losing that at a certain point. Um, I think could work, because the animation is just mainly done for, like, the slapstick of it. You don't get much of a sense of, like, this character doesn't feel like the same, like, queen character just in a bear trying to, like, move around or whatever. Because, like, we got an interesting sense of who she was before this point in terms of, like, she has more of a command about the kingdom and she has sort of more of the authority to, like, get all these idiot men in line with, like, what we're trying to do in terms of tradition and that conflict with Merida. But then when she gets into that, like, regal sort of way and as a bear it just feels like it's really cheap laughs and then even then when like the whole gimmick should be like oh she becomes a bear so then when does more outdoorsy and shows her how to like hunt for fish like in that one scene that could work but then the trouble is like wait so we're encouraging her to become more of a bear but that's kind of the trouble with like the conflict of the stories. We don't want her to turn into a bear because it'll happen like at the next sunrise or whatever. So it's like, what, what exactly is like the character arc here? What exactly are we like getting out of this? Because by the end of this movie, it's supposed to be, oh, Merida learned something from her mother, and her mother learned something from Merida. And I don't really get that much of sense of Merida learning anything from Mom Bear to the degree that when she has her big speech at the hall near the end of the movie, it's just like, I don't know how you would have learned like how to do any of this from your mom, who's a bear who can't suck.
0: You know, and then at the end, of the ultimate, you know, did repairing the tapestry bring her back when the sun hit it? Did her to saying, you know, I'm sorry, I love you? Was that what did it? Because in the grand scheme of things, I mean, I guess cursing her to a bear is pretty bad, but you don't get that that's what she's apologizing for. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost like she's apologizing for being such a rebellious kid and all that stuff, and it just feels kind of cheap to me.
1: Especially when, like, what she's rebelling against is, like, oh, being forced into a marriage she doesn't want for somebody winning or whatever.
0: Yeah, I think it's okay to rebel against that, personally. I mean, you know, what do I know? But to me, if you're going to rebel, it's a pretty good thing to rebel for. So, yeah, I don't know. It just feels like such a cheap ending. And then you get her little wrap-up speech and then credit, done. It's just, eh,
1: meh. It feels a lot more sloppy than, like, with Pixar. Like, what I love is just seeing how intricately those stories flow to, like, where, in theory, like, that moment you're talking about where it's like, oh, the the tapestry is fixed, but it doesn't fix mom immediately, should be, like, a big, like, emotional swelling up point. Like, oh, my God, this wasn't about fixing the tapestry. It was about fixing their relationship. Fixing
0: our, fixing our love.
1: Right. And Pixar usually is able to handle that really well, where, like, that's supposed to make you well up. just like, oh, this is such a beautiful moment between mother and daughter, which would be great. And in context, just kind of like... Oh, no, that wasn't it. You just had to, like, hug. And we're all good now. <laughs> hey,
0: man, a really good hug can fix a lot of things.
1: <laughs> yeah, but and even, like, with the animation, like, I agree with you at least a bit. I think this is sort of a situation similar to when we did last in Pixar, The Good Dinosaur, where I really like the look of, like, the, the environments, Like, I love the look of, like, the forest areas and, like, the big waterfall that we see at the opening and stuff like that. I'm not as big on the character design, I think, because particularly with, like, the female characters and even, like, the young boys uh, who are her brothers, like, the weird cherubic face, I think, is just, like, such a, like, uninteresting flat way of depicting maybe someone with more, like, softer features. Um, Even, like, with the adult men characters also, it just feels kind of like, oh, we're almost doing, like, also rands of, like, How to Train Your Dragon, Like Vikings, with the way these other like male characters look, they look a bit more distinctive. I'll give them credit; like the the various different clan leaders look very different. But um, at the same time, I just don't feel like, especially with like Pixar and human design, can be so dodgy. Ever since, obviously, the original Toy Story, where you have like Andy looking like a soulless doll of a person (laughs) to hear obviously it's a big improvement but at the same time this feels like a lot less interesting than say like the Incredibles human designs like all of those people look so distinct in the Incredibles versus like this kind of stylized version it just feels like there's kind of two templates really for these different character designs
0: I mean I guess I can't disagree with you sort of the male figures especially the different leaders yeah they all look really comical and silly and sort of right in the realm of whimsical animation. Um, And as far as the, the other ones are like the, especially Meridian and the boys having sort of cherubic faces and stuff. I think that was just their way of showing youth. And it it doesn't bother me with them. Actually, I like their character design a lot more than the male character designs because it's just, feels just too over-the-top and silly and out of place to me.
1: I also would say just there's no, another factor of, like, obviously given the weird um, different cooks in the kitchen with this movie, um, you have, like, uh, the Mark Andrews taking over, but also another person who's, like, credited as a writer on this, who also would become, like, a big Pixar person in, like, the sort of decade-plus sense this movie, is a Steve Purcell, who is a guy who is, um, like, an animator but most famous for creating Sam and Max like the video game/tv show with like the rabbit and the dog solving crimes. I don't know if you're aware of Sam and Max. Oh, absolutely, I am. Right. And I think you can see some of his like um, sort of more uh, clever back and forth with some of the things like particularly with the witch character. If anything, I really like the scene in The Witch's Coven. Like, her character design, I think, is probably my favorite of any of the different characters. And, like, snappy, like, back and forth of the animation and how it's, like, a lot of, like, cutting back and forth. And even uh, Steve Purcell voices her crow, who starts talking. Like, that stuff's kind of fun. And the moment she kind of disappears, we get, I think, most of the comedic relief afterward. It's just a lot of, like, oh, awkward misunderstanding and, like, the the little boys' as bears and shit like that. Chasing after that one woman who's, like, the maid of the castle and whatever like the, his sort of like cleverness i think is should would have been really much more instrumental if it was weaved throughout the movie as opposed to just kind of being flat with most of the comedic relief even though i love billy connelly but uh, the merida's father character just feels kind of flat even in terms of like the comedic relief or when he suddenly becomes a big plot point at the end with like the other bear <laughs>
0: but the maid has big boobs
1: oh that's true that's really uh heightened comedy that's a good point right so,
0: and, the, and the men have to take their kilts off to climb down the tower so you see all their butts
1: that's true that you know the comedic genius that's a very good point
0: point. Yeah. Oh, and you're saying it's not clever enough you're out of your mind by the way have you ever seen the fucking brilliant movie that's called Porkies? oh boy (laughs) this pixar's porkies yeah it's their answer to it it's the prequel to porkies oh it's stupid you're right all the all the good funny sort of bits like even the simple ones with where the one guy you can't even understand him and then the you know the sort of really dorky kid standing behind the big muscled guy and you know they're all that's it's It's nothing you haven't seen before, but at least it's got a sense of fun to it. You know, oh, she's falling down the stairs. Oh, my God, she's turning into a bear. Nope, she's back. Oh, she's a bear again. Nope, she's back. It almost feels like two different movies, probably right after The Witch's House, because I agree, that's a real fun bit. You find yourself not really giving a shit. And I think that's ultimately the major problem with a movie like this, where, you know, it's Pixar. It's supposed to be about this mother-daughter healing their relationship and coming to find common ground and appreciate each other for their, you know, their many faults as well as, you know, their quirks. And ultimately it's just, you don't really care.
1: Yeah. The most I really care is during the whole bit where Meredith reveals herself. She's like, I'll be playing for my own hand. And with like doing the Robin Hood thing, basically with the arrows and stuff, that stuff is like the best animation has some of the best like comedic reaction shots from people has a really good performance from uh, Kelly McDonald, which I think if nothing else, the most consistent thing here is the voice acting with I love an Emma Thompson. I love a Billy Connolly, but Kelly McDonald, I think is the perfect choice for this role, especially considering they originally hired Reese Witherspoon and she quit because she even said like, look, I can't do a Scottish accent. I can't fucking do this. This isn't going to work for me, which credit, like, Adam, I'm sure you really appreciate someone giving up a role because they can't do an accent. That's usually a pet peeve of yours. Yeah, thank God. Uh, We are all the the luckier then.
0: Why hire somebody who's not Scottish?
1: Like, especially when you have, like, a Kelly MacDonald, who is a very good actress, who you could just hire anyway, who makes way more sense.
0: Could have got Gerard Butler. I'll be shooting in front of my own hand.
1: (laughs) He was too busy with those How to Train Your Dragon movies. He couldn't cross over. Uh, Ah, that's what it is. You're right. That's the only reason that didn't happen. But yeah, I I think it's also troubling because like a lot of the sort of um, press behind this when Mark Andrews took over and the movie was coming out was a lot of just like, look, we want to make this as neutral as sort of possible with like, we don't want to really present gender into this dynamic. And that feels, like, so weirdly frustrating when you watch the movie, and that is very clearly set up with that opening bit. So much of, like, inherent, like, gender politics are put into that element with how much, like I said, the queen is, like, sort of taking over, and Merida has more of, like, a traditionally masculine interest. And that kind of setup would make, I think, in theory, a great sort of Pixar twist on the sort of Disney princess movie. That's, that was kind of like the appeal of this movie coming out, and then ultimately, right after that sort of interesting setup happens, like, even, like, the sort of mother-daughter dynamic doesn't feel as engaged, because, like, they have to f- have the weird magical elements, and like, we mentioned vaguely, like, this other bear, that is such a weak-ass villain thing, which is like, oh, by the way, there's this old bear that you saw at the opening, and then you found out his backstory... The, this backstory about this like prince turns out it's like actually this bear or whatever. The fact that it is so ingrained still, in like oh no, this story about like some past prince's problem that's putting put onto like a queen character, it feels like once again like there's could be an interesting sort of gender dynamic play that's going on here, but it feels just more like really lazy sort of connecting the plots. We're just like no, we're going to remove any of that interesting mother daughter stuff. It's all about can she not be a bear? It doesn't matter if she's a man or a woman. Can't she, this thing not be a bear? It just feels like it's that's part of like the weird jumbled mess this movie ultimately feels like.
0: Again, you know, and I already said it, but I, I, it's, it's kind of my whole problem with the thing. Ultimately, it just feels like it goes the stereotypical cliche route. I find myself completely disconnected with the story and the characters. Right after she eats the cake and turns, and then I'm just, I check out. And I really don't get back into it. I mean, there's some cool stuff in it. I love the design of the the Mordu bear and all that stuff like it looks pretty cool pretty fearsome and terrifying it's just uh,
1: yeah especially when like this is one of the Pixar movies that won Best Animated Feature and the lineup here is mostly so much more sacked against Brave like the other nominees were Frankenweenie Pirates Band of Misfits the Ardman movie uh, Paranorman and Wreck-It Ralph those last two in particular much better films
0: oh a thousand percent either, I, either one of those deserved it well over brave
1: right but um, the point being that as it was one of the weaker competitors and it kind of feed in, fed into that weird thing of like oh Disney and P- mainly Pixar has to mostly win these things even though they haven't won every time they were nominated but still at the same time like this definitely feels more just like well it's the Pixar movie my kids saw it so me and Academy Voter I'll vote for brave because Pixar right they're always inherently good and this is just an example where sometimes they're not yeah so suck it Pixar Yes, that's right. Cry into your $14.7 billion, because we roasted you. (laughs) Gotcha! (laughs) Uh, But I don't think we have many other thoughts on Brave, but we have, I think, a lot more thoughts on our next feature, Adam.
0: Yeah, I think
1: that's fair to say.
0: That's very very brave of you to say.
1: (laughs) Oh, Oh, what a cap. Put a cap right on that, as we transition into our good feature, Toy Story 4. Everyone, Bonnie made a friend in class. Oh,
0: she's dirty. already making friends. No, no, she literally made a new friend. I want you to meet Forky! Uh, hi. Hello! Ah. <gasps> He's a spork. Yes, yeah, I know. Forky is the most important toy to Bonnie right now. Woody, we
1: have a situation. I am not a toy. I was made for soup, salad, maybe chili, and then the trash.
0: What are you doing here no time to explain come with me we need to get back to our kid oh sheriff woody always coming to the rescue if you, should ever leave me. you know you've handled this lost toy life better than i could
1: sometimes change can be good
0: i was made to help a child i don't remember it being this hard woody
1: somebody's whispering in your ear everything's gonna be okay So, Toy Story 4 came out uh, June 21st, 2019, and obviously, in case you couldn't tell from the very subtle title, is the fourth film in the Toy Story franchise, so it's natural, Adam, to talk a bit more about our thoughts about the original three movies, uh, especially given, you know, this is the flagship franchise of Pixar. It started with Toy Story in 1995. And then Toy Story 2 came out in 1999, and then they took a long break, and then we had Toy Story 3 in 2010. What are your thoughts on those films overall? Would you say it deserves to be sort of the flagship franchise of Pixar? You know, I don't know. I've never seen any of them. Oh, that's interesting. So the fourth one was probably like a real weird turn for you. Just like, wow, I have no idea who any of these people are. No, I didn't watch it. Oh, oh boy. (laughs) No, yeah, 100%. It
0: it earned its its spot as, you know, the sort of flagship franchise in it. By being consistently good. I mean, that's the thing. It's, you know, there's a couple other other big hits that have sequels or prequels that, you know, don't really work too well. But this one, all four of them are good. And I I would honestly say, in my personal opinion, get better and better with each one.
1: There's a story about how Bob Iger went to, um, I believe it was the opening of Shanghai Disneyland. And there was a huge parade that was going on. And they had, um, you know, the usual Disney characters like Mickey and Goofy and whatever in the parade. And the audience kind of like politely clapped, but didn't really have like that kind of investment. And then the Toy Story characters showed up and people lost their minds. I think that's the interesting thing is Toy Story, I think it's just become not just like sort of the big ambassador for Pixar, but just with animation in general, like Woody and Buzz almost feel in their own way like the kind of modern day equivalent to like a Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck, like these characters who a lot of people have investment in. And that might be a bit biased just because Toy Story was one of those things that like was ingrained in me at a very young age. Like I remember watching the first Toy Story, I don't think in a theater, but like on VHS all the time. And it was a movie that I like pretty much memorized. I still remember seeing Toy Story 2 in a theater and just I had a buzz in Woody that I was so attached to that when I was the ring bearer, at a friend of my parents' wedding, they said, like, okay, you're gonna ha- carry the rings, but you have to put down Buzz and Woody. I was just like, what are you talking about? How could I ever let them sit on the sidelines so that they walk down that aisle as like a freaking three or four year old with Buzz and Woody in my hands because I couldn't be detached from these guys. I, I loved them and all the other characters in Andy's room. Toy Story Three was coming out, I was very nervous. I didn't know like how are they gonna close this out? And I especially had the attachment of I wasn't too far from Age and Andy. I was gonna be going to college shortly at like, like a year or so after that. And so obviously that hit me in a completely different way. And that was sort of the thing where like the the first three Toy Stories um, were kind of like this, it seemed like a closed loop. Toy Story 3 seemed like a definitive ending. A lot of people love how that movie ended. So it's just like, okay, you're doing a fourth one now. How are you going to possibly make this like worth its existence? How are we going to get Buzz and Woody back and make the story totally worth watching? And as you kind of intimated on, you would argue that not only did they sort of make a story that was worthy of existing, but you would say is your favorite of the Toy Stories?
0: Yeah, man. A hundred percent, for several reasons. One is, you know, as simple as I have a little girl. Um, so I can kind of sympathize on that aspect with the little girl and growing up and feeling alienated and different and things like that. Uh, you know, because even as a parent of a little girl, I feel that. Even as simple as the animation alone, I mean, it's still, to me, the most beautiful full CGI computer animated uh, film yet. I think it's just absolutely flawless and gorgeous. Then you get fun stuff like Duke Kaboom, you know, which is great. Uh, I love the... the, the you, it's, You'd be hard-pressed to even call her a villain uh, character. Uh, Forky, trying to get in the trash all the time. Great. Hilarious. I, I just think the movie works on literally every level
1: well yeah in the lead up to this I was definitely kind of worried with like toy Story 4 coming out I was just like okay well what's gonna be the big hook and I think forky is the big thing where like with these other three toy Story movies their sentience has never really been acknowledged until now sort of like oh these there're these toys that come to life whenever like somebody looks away all of a sudden like you know everybody gets up and then, oh my god Andy's coming back in the room and they gotta like stop walking and talking I just love the idea of like forky being this creature who was not made to be a toy And Bonnie, along with the help of Woody in the kindergarten class, making this out of, like, Popsicle sticks and a spork, creates life with, like, just putting her name on his feet. And then immediately he's just like... Oh my god, I'm alive. Why am I alive? I am trash. I need to be thrown away. I can't have that. And I like the conflict where Woody's main thing is obviously just trying to keep Forky alive for Bonnie, but also instinctively he knows just based on what we know from like Toy Story 3 that like you're gonna be incinerated and we're not gonna be able to get you back. I can't have you go into the trash. So just the animation of like Woody constantly going like back and forth getting Forky out is so fun. If anything, like my biggest trouble with this movie is I wish Forky's sort of arc to become, that realize like what being a toy actually means and that it can be a good thing that he wants to be Bonnie's toy didn't happen so early in the movie. I kind of wish those was sort of like a thing that he started to realize more toward the end as Woody also starts to realize like what a toy can actually mean at the same time. Cause I, I think the big incentive for this movie really is just that Woody completely like gets a new lease on life in a way that I find so endearing. This is like Woody being able to realize that like, Oh, I don't have to just be tied to a single child. I don't have to be just in one simple room for the rest of, you know, her childhood or whatever. I can be a roaming free person uh, thanks to the help of Bo and stuff like that. I just wish that, you know, Forky didn't kind of have that uh, sort of epiphany like at the end of act one of this movie, basically.
0: I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, that is true. I do agree with you there. Uh, I think it might have served the story just a little bit better if they would have just kind of had, not necessarily end with Forky's sort of realization or acceptance of, what he now is or something like that. But I do think they got to it a little too early as well. I mean, it's still a great, still great moment and everything, but I I feel like once that moment happens, then the focus just kind of goes back to, you know, the original characters, the OGs. And it's like, that's great. They're all lovable characters. You know, we love them obviously. But yeah, I think Forky's sort of growth or journey uh, could have been stretched out a little bit for sure.
1: Yeah, especially when, like, there's plenty of fun stuff still with Forky. Like, I love the animation on Forky, particularly the whole scene where him and Woody are, like, walking down the road. And his awkward walking with his popsicle stick feet <laughs> is, like, such a funny bit. And even, like, the sound, just simply, like, the popsicle sticks going up and down. And Tony Hale's voice is so good. of just like, oh, so you, wh- what are you, Forky? Trash! I need to be thrown away <laughs> and stuff like that. It's so fun. Or even him realizing things, like, later on with the whole, like, oh, you need to go over to the merry-go-round. What's a merry-go-round? It's, like, the thing with the horses and the lights. Oh, a carousel. Yes. a okay. So just that he has these weird untapped bits of knowledge that you wouldn't expect out of him. He's a really fun, really different character for like all the various I would say that this movie overall, with Forky and some of the other people, like you even mentioned Duke Boom or Ducky and Bunny, I'd argue since Toy Story Two, this one has had the most interesting new characters in terms of the toys and stuff.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely, for sure. I mean, part three, I mean, they were fine, but, you know, like Lotso and all that. Like, okay, yeah, but no, this one, yeah, Forky's, Forky's amazing. And I just, like, I love when he first comes out of the backpack, even. And they're like, oh, my God, why are his arms so long? <laughs> and he's just immediately trying to throw himself away. Like, it's, just, it's so fucking funny. And you kind of feel bad for this weird spork with popsicle feet. Like, it's just, it's insane what they get out of that. I mean... <laughs> like like you said it's just, He's a piece of trash And yet you end up falling in love with it And sort of everybody else in the movie Does too along with the viewer um, I don't know man there's some about this The way this movie even ends You know with Woody and stuff just,
1: I want to get to that I think it's, yeah. it's a very crucial thing I want to definitely get yeah. to that But So who would you say is your favorite like new characters they introduce
0: Well Duke Kaboom for sure I just think it's such a fun character. I mean, obviously, it's a play on the old Evil Knievel stunt cycle toy and all that, but it just—he's so fucking fun, and I love that it's just Keanu Reeves being Keanu Reeves. He doesn't even try to disguise that it's him. Like it just works perfectly.
1: Particularly the way he says Rijon referencing yeah. his, his his boy who abandoned yeah. him after, uh, it's not my fault, the commercial lied. I did, it's just a commercial. And the way that he's posing, which I found it was apparently a thing that he came to after like he looked at the character model before the first voiceover session. He's just like, he should do like poses and he would do a lot of like the posing while he was voice acting <laughs> in the booth. And so they just went with it. And that's so funny, especially like when he's just doing like a bunch of huh, ha who huh, on the motorcycle and just going all over the place. It's so fun. The way that they just handle like even the toy physics in these movies has always been so great with like him or even like Ducky and Bunny voiced by Keegan Michael Key and uh, Jordan Peele who are so like fun vocally but like the contrast where Duke Boom is like has the limited articulation versus you can tell that like with Ducky and Bunny they have clear like carnival toy stitching and stuff and stuff like that which is like, they look like cheap toys like all the toys have very distinctive looks and feels to them that makes it like so fun even with like Bo Peep we haven't talked about where like, despite the fact that she is like sort of the, the adventurer of the group that pops into here, she still feels porcelain. She still has a femininity to her that doesn't like extract just cause it's like, I'm a tough as nails gal. It's just like, no, she's a human. Well, she's a toy who has like these emotions and feelings. So she's a full rounded character.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, that's always been one of the biggest plus sides of the, of, you know, these movies and the animation style is that every toy feels exactly like even the way, and the third one, Ken moves, and the way Barbie has always, always moved. And then, you know, Buzz has all these articulations, so he's able to do all these flips and stuff. But then you see, like, Woody running. His arms are just flopping all over the place. And the, the amount of detail that goes in, obviously, into all of these movies. But I, I just have always really appreciated even those simple things, where, like you said, even with Ducky and Bunny, they're clearly stuffed with that just bullshit, hard, like, cottony fabric it's not even real cotton it's just super synthetic rough hard stuff you know you feel like if you just pulled on the you know the duck's wing just a little bit that it would just rip right off Uh, yeah it it just works perfect and they are great additions too Um, and Hendrix Hendrix does a really good job too
1: as Gabby Gabby
0: as Gabby Gabby great job and like I said they paint her as the villain in a way but ultimately they give her redemption story too because her backstory is super sad and you end up feeling bad for as a character and things like that. I mean, that's why this movie works on to me on so many levels. There's really no definitive villain. It's just kind of all these weird ragtag group of toys kind of coming together and figuring out what it means to be what they are. And in, in, in all in different ways, too. They all sort of come to a different conclusion, and it, it but it works specific for them. I don't want to call it a coming of age tale. I guess it kind of is, but sort of just like... A, a self-referential tale and I just think it's handled expertly especially under the guise of it being Toy Story 4.
1: Well I wouldn't say necessarily it's as much coming of age because what I like about almost like with like the Toy Story movies you have like the first one feels kind of like getting adjusted to having a younger sibling with like the Woody Buzz dynamic. Then, with the second movie, it's a lot more about, like, oh, hey, I'm, like, a parent, basically, to Andy, but, like, I realize that, like, even though I'm in the middle of his childhood, he'll eventually leave and go off and I won't be there for him. And then, obviously, the third movie is a lot more about that, where it's, like, your kid leaves the nest or whatever. And then, by the fourth one, it's sort of about, well, Woody tries to still have that parental role with, like, a Bonnie, but he realizes, like, he doesn't have that place anymore in Bonnie's, like, play environment, basically. He's just, like, not that person anymore and he feels like oh if i am in this play environment i have to be that so if he can't be that then like what am i necessarily and then he comes to realize like well you don't even have to be like that kind of play toy you can be like a bow where you're able to play with like you know kids in the sand and stuff like that but you can go around and actually help other like sentient toys not just like you know, um, find a kid, but also, like, find a purpose, find anything. And that can be, like, a totally different path for you as a toy versus just being stuck to one particular kid. And I think that's the biggest reason this movie has to exist, is just the fact that it gives Woody more of, like, a complete arc instead of just being, like, at the end of the third movie, everything's done, just like, well, I'm with a new kid. But it's like, well, then the cycle keeps going. As opposed to, like, well, I'm doing a very different life change for me that totally works. It feels almost just like and he's, like, post-retirement, and he's just like, you know what, let's, let's see what my life can be after I give up that job as a toy and throw away my sheriff's badge, literally, at the end of the movie.
0: Yeah, and it, you can't tell me it doesn't hit you in the fucking feels every time. You know this is the last time you're going to see this character. And I, I guess I agree with you. It is sort of like, you know, the last ride of, a, of an old cowboy. And it, it's just, I'll tell you, man, I'll tell you. Waterworks. <laughs> like it just
1: Right. Cause that was the big thing. I remember in sort of the promotion for this movie, Tom Hanks and Tim Allen were talking a lot about how like, oh, we cried all the time like when we were recording the final lines. We couldn't like look each other in the eyes. We were just like waterworks everywhere. And I was like, well, I wonder how much of that is like sort of them trying to piggyback on like the Toy Story 3 thing, which I will say, of the Toy Story movies, I agree that all of them are good. I would say Toy Story 3 is like the obvious lesser one of the four to me if nothing else because I think the ending it earns a lot of like pathos and there's a lot of like beauty to how like that movie ends with particularly like Woody and the gang being sent off or like the garbage scene like I think there's there's a lot of power in those moments but at the same time it doesn't feel like the, it feels like it's more a movie about like the sort of thing where Pixar has been so known for like oh we have to have these big emotional things you're gonna fucking cry you're gonna fucking cry like that movie is so much more of like sort of a miserable state of these toys like oh we can't be around andy and we're stuck in a box this whole time we have nothing and then this movie i ha- love the ending a bit more honestly because it doesn't have that sort of like extreme thing of like oh we're being handed off and we're like going off to a heaven it's so beautiful or whatever this feels more like a real situation just like two friends or like what do you like with all the other toys but especially with buzz like that connection just being severed just like well we're going down different paths And that's fine. And that's good. And like, we can do that and still be friends, but we're not going to be in the same room all the time. And I just, I love the element. It feels much more wistful and beautiful in a way that feels a bit more real to me and earns the tears a bit more than a way of just like, these toys are going to fucking die. You loved them as a kid. They're going to fucking die right in front of you, JK the claw everything's fine now this feels a lot more definitive in a way where like I I didn't want a Toy Story 4 at the end of Toy Story 3 I really don't want a Toy Story 5 after Toy Story 4 It's just like this is a miracle that you managed to make this work as well don't push your luck
0: yeah, yeah no I completely agree I, you know like you said this feels like just a natural sort of progression for the characters that you know it, it's realistic there's a lot of pathos involved to it there's a lot of you know earnesty to it instead of man you loved these characters didn't you look at them accept their fate because they're gonna fucking burn <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know fucking mega Death played in the background yeah.
1: <laughs> fuck that Randy Newman squirts all the Mega. death <laughs>
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The symphony of destruction. Um, but um, yeah, that's why the ending works so well for me because, of course, you know, Toy Story three. There are powerful moments to the ending. I, and even that scene where we're joking about, it's like still a fucking major. Like, what the fuck are they really going here? Moment, but you know, ultimately, again, yeah, you know, like, oh, oh, cool. Yeah, they were almost going to be massacred by fire. So, you know, at least they're out of it. But yeah, this one just, uh, what are you going off with Bill Peep, man? Who's going to go off and explore and see what else is out there for him? And this isn't a goodbye. It's a see you later. And it's just, it's pretty powerful stuff. But yeah, don't, don't do five. I, I don't think they are planning on it. I haven't heard that. Uh, I really hope not. But I think, you know, again, and I agree with you. It is an absolute fucking miracle that this worked. Because three was definitively, oh, it's done. Like, they're totally done now they're with Bonnie they're basically like you said kind of in their personal type of heaven good for them it's over and then to find out they're doing four I like I'm sure you and most people are like how the fuck what is going to happen now
1: I mean especially when the initial sort of rumblings were from when Mr. Laster was still with the company talking about like oh I want to make a romantic comedy between Woody and Bo Peep that kind of reminds me of my love with my wife and it's like hmm oh, boy.
0: Hmm. Yeah, by the way, we're going to replace John Lasseter's name with, you know, and then also Master Black. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, yeah, it's it, this shouldn't have worked. This movie should not have worked and, and been as successful as it was. And I'm not talking finances, I'm talking just story-wise, and emotional-wise, and character-wise. I mean, and yet, I, I mean, honestly, other than maybe stretching out the forky thing and moving it to the you know, closer to the mid of the third act, I, I wouldn't really change anything about this movie. I think it's the perfect send-off, which I thought three already was. But now that you see this one, you're like, oh, no, this is the way to do it. And I, I,
1: I If If I it. may have a few quibbles... There's uh, <laughs> 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 a Toy Story historian over here. Uh, while I do think this is the third best of the um, Toy Stories, I still say, like, the big things that kind of hinder it slightly for me from being like as good as like a toy story 2 my personal favorite or even one is a few things like at this point there are too many toy characters (laughs) like they want to have as many of like the older existing guys from andy's room and even from bonnie's room in here and these new characters as well and you can tell like those sort of supporting characters suffer a bit which i don't mind necessarily for like obviously mr potato head you couldn't do much with because don rickles had recently passed away before you could record anything so just have like archival things ...in here, uh, which makes sense. Uh, But the biggest one for me is just... ...I hate how Toy Story 3 and 4 have no idea what to do with Jesse who was my favorite of the characters that weren't introduced in the first movie at all. I love Joan Cusack as Jessie in Toy Story 2. I think it's such a great character. And in 3, and then especially even 4, she's just kind of, like, off the side. Especially when, like, they introduce a great arc of, like, her sort of becoming the new sheriff of the toys. The new Woody, basically. Like, having her own sort of, like, stake as, like, the leader of the playtime, basically. And they don't really do a lot with it until the very end when Woody's just like, here, you take the sheriff's badge. It's like, I wish there was a bit more there for like a Jesse or even like if you had to have some of these other characters, I wouldn't even mind if they pared down some of these people. Cause honestly of like the Bonnie's toys, the only one I kind of give a shit about is Kristen Shaw as like the Triceratops, who is very funny, particularly like during the whole thing with uh, Bonnie's dad in yeah. like, yeah, and, which shout out, we should mention our buddy Jay Hernandez is the voice of Bonnie's dad. And this is probably his best performance in anything. Cause he's so exasperated <laughs> every time. Everything just goes horribly wrong. <laughs>
0: I don't know man, he was Carlito. Uh That's true. Yeah, I mean you know. he did
1: rise to power. Good point.
0: He did rise to power. Uh yeah, I like I also like Mr. Pants just cuz of Timothy Dalton. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, the, to me there's no logical reason why they all had to be on the RV and all of them had to be involved. Uh I mean, I get and story wise, why they're there, but that could have easily worked with maybe just the original Andy toys and one other, one of Bonnie's toys to kind of go along and watch them, or just the Triceratops, or just Buzz and you know Jesse and you know stuff like that, like the really close ones to Woody. Uh, it, it did it didn't need to be all of them,
1: right? Especially when you're also balancing out with all these new characters who I, I agree are mostly the particular that like Gabby Gabby. To go back to that, I, you mentioned the whole thing about her not being, like, a f- full-out villain. My One of my bigger problems with Toy Story 3 is, all respect to, like, Ned Beatty and a lot of the animation stuff and design I like about the Lotso character, he's just kind of another Stinky Pete from the second movie. That was always my big problem is that he just kind of feels like he's a repetitive character from, like, even that guy. As opposed to, like, Gabby Gabby, I agree, has so much more of this thing where, like, she's just unsettling to start. And then when you like get to know her a bit more, she just has like these weird methods. But like you said, she's not necessarily a full out villain. Like when Woody goes back to try and get Forky after like everybody's like in the alley and he goes and just like, look, would you just be willing to give up your voice box? It's all I want. It's not going to hurt you. So can you just give that to me? He's just like, you know what? Fine, we can do that. And you see the joy in her face at potentially being picked. You now it's just like, oh, I'm not going to be just the creepy doll in the antique store. This kid's going to pick me up. When that fucking kid picks her up, and the old grandma's just like, oh, you can take it if you want. Nah, throws it away. <laughs> Devastating. <laughs> that hurts so much that you feel for Gabby Gabby that whole time. Like as she's going off, like oh, she can be a part of Bonnie's group, and then. The whole sequence where she ends up getting picked up by the lost kid at the carnival, I think, is beautiful. It's such a like really great example of small, intimate, character-based storytelling. Of just like, oh, this kid's lost. She needs some kind of comfort. Gabby can be that comfort, and that gets her to go off with a different kid. And Woody ends up getting that kind of satisfaction. Of, like I helped a toy out. I can still help out toys like in a larger scale. I found like more of a purpose. It's a beautiful like, sort of tacit turn between, like, those two characters that really sells the ultimate ending of the movie. Can't agree with you more, though, when that kid...
0: You can take it if... Nah! It's like, <laughs> oh, fuck. A hundred percent. You're like, oh, that is so fucked up. I do agree. Lotso is basically just Stinky Pete. hundred uh, percent. That's right. Like, Gabby Gabby, just... Again, if there's so much more layers to the character, nuance to the character, and she's... Like I said, it, ultimately, the way she first tries to get what she wants is pretty fucked. Again, you totally sympathize with her. And ultimately, her sort of plight and if you want to call it like a redemption moment is also Woody's in a really cool little weird way. It just it really works 100%. I, I just, you know, I just kind of wish that I, I don't know why, but how funny it would be if she got the voice box. And, like, so she goes to talk, and she goes, there's a
1: snake in my boots. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, we didn't switch the discs. Oh, son like, of a bitch. And then Woody pulls, like, his pull string, just like, I'm Gabby Gabby, and I love
0: you. <laughs> hmm Goes, to, then they have to, like, try to... You know, give her surgery to fix it, and she passes away during it. Oh, it's a medical drama now. This is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> 100%. Because they left an instrument inside. Anyways, no, I... Uh... <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, we have to save uh, all the horror for stuff like the ventriloquist dummies, which I also love. The way that those ventriloquist dummies move <laughs> and how, yes. like, it's, it's funny but also creepy at the same time. And even just, like, so much of the antique store, I love, like, that as a location for one of these Toy Story movies, where it's just like, oh, they're surrounded by dust and these, like, various different toys like when they go into the pinball machine and it's a club with all the various different toys it's such such a funny like clever gag and even like the look of that fucking cat in the antique store like you want to see like the full breadth of pixar's animation history compare that cat to sid's dog from the first toy story and it's just like a massive evolution like that cat almost looked fucking real (laughs) by comparison to the weird like polygon shapes of that fucking sid dog (laughs)
0: Whatever that thing was, I don't even know if that was a dog. <laughs> but even compare the dog from Toy Story 2, you know, Andy's dog, to that right. cat. I mean, it's, it's it's miles and miles better. Like, did they superimpose a real fucking cat into this movie? And if so, why? <laughs> but, yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's fucking, I love the whole antique store and all that stuff. It's it just, what a great, great little bit
1: and particularly even like the lighting on like whether it's that cabinet with like the sun coming in or particularly when Bo goes up and she has like all the lamps and it's just like this is my favorite part of the store it's a really gorgeous looking moment but it also tells a lot about the character that's just like this is the one place where i'm not like a toy where i'm not like succumb to anybody's whims or whatever this is just a thing that i had personally and how that it's one of many moments where you can see woody looking over and he's starting to like do that turn of just like Maybe I don't want to be like the traditional toy anymore. It, it, it's, it does such a great job, of like doing what Pixar always does, which is using one character really revealing something about themselves to help advance another character along in their journey. Yeah. But before we get to final thoughts, I also will say I think another big thing that makes this better to me from than Toy Story three is I think it's a much funnier movie. Like there are so many great little bits and pieces of gags. Like what would you say is your favorite sort of like gag moment in this movie?
0: I mean, honestly, my favorite stuff in the movie, 100%, my favorite recurring joke is Gus Forky constantly trying to throw himself in the garbage and Woody having to run after him and get him out and throw him up under the bed or, you know, just drop in front of the RV and all that stuff. I just think it's a great, great moment. Although, the bit with the CB radio is fucking hilarious.
1: <laughs> well, for me, I would say uh, my favorite sort of gag in the whole movie, it's probably like, it's a lot of the Ducky and Bunny stuff, but particularly them hatching the plans about like how do we get the key and she's like oh let's do this one and you cut to like them berating the old woman like just jumping on her just like oh okay let's do a different one and then it's like the baseball goes out and then they, they attack her again it's like okay we'll do the other long call game and it's just this long thing of just like the <laughs> the shopkeeper closes up goes to her home has a bath has some wine goes to bed and then Ducky and Bunny just show up and <laughs> it's the weird horror movie like it feels like it's, like, adapting the Key and peel sketch format to Toy Story in a really fun way.
0: Yeah, that's great. What a, That is a great call. That's so fucking funny.
1: <laughs> and then even the ultimate reveal that, like, they just get it by, like, she drops the key off right in front of them on the shelf. <laughs> it's like, it, we took a while to get. This is so hard. You're, you're welcome, everybody. <laughs> um, but, yeah, let's go ahead and go into our final thoughts then on Toy Story 4. Adam, uh, your final thoughts on Toy Story 4. And is it not only your favorite Toy Story, but... Your favorite Pixar, maybe overall?
0: Um, it's yeah, it's definitely my favorite of the Toy Stories. Uh, as far as my favorite Pixar, I don't know. I mean, it's that's a hard one. I, I, I would have said yes, probably. You know, when I first saw it, but now that I've sort of seen some of the newer ones and gone back and watched some of the older ones, I, I'd say it sits firmly in probably my top three, maybe even my top five. But I don't know that it's my th- number one. I, I really don't know, but I, I do. I mean, I love it. I think it is, it is like I said, the best of the franchise. It's so funny and it's got so much heart. It's so genuine and it fucking looks legit. Yeah. It, to me, like I said, it's a five out of five for me, a hundred percent.
1: Uh, yeah, I wouldn't go quite as far as necessarily five out of five, but I would say this is one like of the various like Pixar sequels like most of those have felt obviously so like unnecessary and why are we bothering with this and what's the real point? And this one I feel like got the worst sort of criticism of that just because of how much people love Toy Story 3. and while I do still like that movie quite a bit, I think like people have like underrated this one quite a lot more, even in like the last, you know, two or so years since it came out. I just love the fact that with this movie they managed to like really grow a bit more with like the Toy Story universe and what it means to be like a sentient toy for like both the Forky character and Woody. And I think really does a great job of like, uh, like you mentioned, like having characters who might seem villainous initially, but have a bit more complexity to them in a way that I don't think hasn't been done uh, in the last couple Toy Stories necessarily. And while I would still say like Toy Story Two is close to like one of my favorite pictures, like it's like number one or two for me um, in in terms of just like I think the way that one balances like the sentimental stuff and the comedy and the just like even with the lesser animation, just like some of the feats they're still able to do for like nineteen ninety nine. At that time, I just I I think that one is like a perfect movie, basically. I still think Toy Story Four is pretty great and i think deserves a lot more attention for like all the fun new characters um for what it does for you know some of the bigger characters in terms of developing their stories and just like like you mentioned being such a beautiful sort of weird bookend with like the the ending of this movie i think has a lot more of like a sincerity and a beauty and a charm that doesn't feel quite as manipulative as like i would say a toy story 3 is by the ending but still it's a very consistent franchise i think toy story 4 is a really great note for it to hopefully end on. You know, I didn't want to do Toy Story 4 after Toy Story 3 ended. All the press was just like, nope, we're finishing it here, it's all done. And it's like, well, I guess we'll do Toy Story 4 now. I really hope we don't get, in another decade, like, Toy Story 5 uh, in the wastelands, I guess. They meet up with Wally <laughs> in, like, the, uh, the fucking wastelands of Earth or whatever, still roaming everywhere. I don't want any of that. I think Toy Story 4 is a really solid send-off that they shouldn't kind of mess with at this point. But now, Adam, let's get to our recurring segment the double redo. Double redo. Double redo. Double
0: redo. Double redo. Double redo. Double 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 double
1: double
0: redo. That works.
1: So uh, every week for the Double Redue, uh Adam and I bring to the table a good and a bad pick related to the individual topic. You know, just like, hey, what's a good or and a bad one? Uh, so a good one you should watch, a bad one you should avoid, that kind of dealy. And so uh, I'm going to go ahead and start with my choices related to a Pixar Double Redo. For my good, I have one that I think obviously it got a lot of praise at the time it came out. This is one that still is very beloved, but I feel like it's it's one that maybe got out of the memory of some people over the last, like, you know, several years since it came out. I have Inside Out, which is one that I've even seen some people accuse of being a bit more manipulative in the way I've kind of said some things about Toy Story 3 earlier. Um, I think this movie, especially rewatching it for the first time since the theater, um, as, in sort of the catch-up for this episode, um, I... I'm astonished that Inside Out works as well as it does, because if you look at the basic, like, plot mechanics of this movie, in terms of, like, what's going on in the real world with the Riley character, it's such a simple story of, like, girl moves to a new town, she feels emotionally upset about it, she gets in a bit of a conflict with her parents, and so she decides she wants to go back home, and she's gonna run away, but then she comes back and has a good cry, like... On paper, that is, like, such a base, flat story. But then having the inner emotions have, like, personifications and have such, like, great designs and really great voice actors attached to them, like Amy Poehler and Phil Smith, Bill Hader, Louis Black, and uh, Mindy Kaling are so fun as the main group. Of various emotions in her head and just the creativity of going around like what the various different like personality islands or the different memories as orbs and stuff like that and the ultimate message about like what it means to like feel mixed emotions even when you develop that as a kid it does such a great job of making a simple situation that's going on in reality have so much more earnestness and heart and wonder that I just really love. It's so creatively done. Pete Doctor, I would say, is my favorite of like the Pixar filmmakers, even compared to like a Brad Bird. Where like Pete Doctor also did uh, Monsters Inc., this and Up, and even Soul. And I think that's such a consistent great filmography that I, I'm just like so amazed at what he's able to do, especially with a, an idea like this. We're just like, oh, let's make emotions into personified characters. How is that going to work? And it works beautifully. Not. Least of which, because of like the whole bing bong thing that's so well earned, that could be so crass and manipulative in the wrong hands. But in terms of the story, just like feels like it has to happen, and it makes sense that it happens, but it's still soul crushing at the same time. Such a great movie. Uh, and then, my bad, is the only Pixar movie I would argue that is genuinely terrible. Like, and obviously, this is related to a franchise I think is the least interesting of any of these uh, Pixar franchises. I have Cars 2 where you're following up cars, which was not my favorite Pixar movie necessarily, but not necessarily terrible, just kind of like a forgettable movie. Um, And you make the sort of sidekick who was, you know, used sparingly enough to where I didn't hate him, but make him the main hero, uh, Mater, as voiced by Larry the Cable Guy, and give him a spy movie it's um such an aggressively annoying movie that feels like so much of what people sort of criticize about what animation has become to a certain degree we're just like oh fuck it, it's for kids doesn't matter like this feels like the only pixar movie that is like extremely cynical as a product like regardless of like cars 1 and cars 3 don't feel quite as cynical even as this one because at least those have some kind of like wistful thing with, like, the first one's about kind of, like, the nostalgia of being out on the road, traveling Route 66, and the third one has this, like, weird kind of, like, passing the torch story for Lightning McQueen to a new sort of, like, female car character, uh, as opposed to Cars, who's just like, uh, what if Mater, like, made fart noises and was a super spy and everyone thought oh you're so clever at disguising yourself as a dumb American you must be so great and it wastes a bunch of great voice talents that are not just like the people who exist in this franchise previously but Michael Kane and Emily Mortimer even the American car who Major is like basically mistaken as for the spy is voiced by Bruce Campbell we almost got an animated Pixar spy movie with Bruce Campbell you're teasing that and then he's literally handing it off to Mater. That's such a spit in the face. It's just like motor oil to the face is what freaking Cars 2 is like.
0: Uh, you know, Inside Out, I've only seen it once. Um, I got to go back to it. Uh, I, I honestly don't really remember much of it. It was one of those where just the circumstances in which I watched it the first time weren't really great. So I, I just don't really, like I said, I don't really recall a lot about it. Um, I know you're not alone in saying like how good it is and how devastating it is and all this stuff. So that's definitely one I want to kind of go back to when I can find the exact right time, because I'm sure I'm going to be devastated. But yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely one of the ones I, I, I really want to go back to. Um, probably one of the few, if not the only, Pixar movie that I've seen once uh, that I would revisit, unlike your other choice, uh, Cars 2, which is just... Abysmal, trash. I mean, it's it's trash. It's, cool. it's <laughs> trash. But yeah, I definitely agree. I think it's the worst of their films so far. I mean, a couple of their sequels are are don't work, but this one is the main one that feels like just, oh, we're gonna sell fucking shitload of toys. Like that—that's what this one feels like. This one feels like simply just a marketing ploy to sell little toy cars and shirts and lunchboxes and whatever the hell uh hula hoops and pac-man video games i agree with you mater was fine in the first cars movie which again i don't like either uh but he's fine he was kind of funny you know silly enough like he didn't really dredge on the nerves too bad and then this one it's like oh my god (laughs) somebody you know put this thing in a crusher Uh, It's just, it doesn't work. It's not funny. Like you said, it wastes Michael Caine and all these other just great actors to just give you uh, an hour and 45 minute toy commercial. And it just, it feels just bleak and cheap. Now, for mine, I have one that we covered on our very first iteration of a Patreon thing we do. Uh, I have Soul. Uh, which I've recently gone back to and really enjoy. I think it's super cute, super sweet. I think the voice acting is top notch, especially from Tina Fey. Um, The animation is incredible. I mean, you could see every thread of fabric. You can see every like gray hair, everything. It's just, it it looks great. A lot of good moments to it. Um, Very good sort of, growth coming to terms with age sort of story and coming to terms with, you know, what your dreams are versus what reality will allow. Uh, I just, I really thoroughly enjoy it. I think the music's top notch and it's honestly, it's a beautiful movie. I, I mean, it's not like my favorite, but I think it's one that sort of got lost in the shuffle. Unfortunately. I mean, obviously how it came out, why it came out that way, probably a big part of that, but it's also, I'd say, probably like Inside Out or or movies like that, it's also not as well marketable, at least Soul isn't. There's stuff in it that kids enjoy, but it's definitely more of an Adult story.
1: Hey kids, how, how do you feel about ex- existential crisis? Based yeah, hey, on <laughs> you're
0: right. it's a thousand percent. Hey, give up on your dreams because you're gonna die in the subway.
1: Buy a twenty-two to action figure. <laughs> yeah, you're right.
0: It's a thousand percent. But I still think it's just a, it's a very well done movie. I, I really like it. Uh, I've seen it a couple times now. Uh, so yeah, I, I think unfairly got sort of lost in the shuffle. Uh, I mean, of course, COVID, quarantine, streaming stuff, but. I think it's one that deserves a watch. And then for my bad, I have, to me, just a sequel I, we didn't need. Uh, I have Finding Dory. I just find it super boring. I find the new cast of sort of side characters that we get to sort of cheap imitations of the you know the fish in the dentist's office in the first one. The whole thing doesn't work for me. Uh, I mean, the fact that they're they're driving a car, it's just like, what are we doing here? This is so silly and over the top, which is fine. It's an animated movie about talking, you know, aquatic animals, but it just feels like a cheap imitation of the first one, but it just looks better. And it's like, nah, I'm good.
1: Yeah, um, I did revisit these recently in sort of the Pixar catch up. Um, I do like Soul quite a bit. Um, I still have some of my trepidations about it. I think particularly I once we get to like a sort of like um Jamie Foxx character in the cat and Tina Fey inside of his body thing I think there's some fun gags there but that feels sort of like the most rote stuff just like oh it, it almost feels like an all of me kind of thing <laughs> just like the um that kind of like dynamic I think it still is fun I think I really particularly like the 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 ultimate resolution of just, like, what it means to be like, oh, your life wasn't necessarily, like, you pursuing that particular passion, but your life still has value kind of thing, I think is a really good message. I quite like how that uh, ultimately resolved. Um, Finding Dory is such a fascinating, like, almost, like, um, weird movie that, like, it made, like, a billion dollars. Everyone fucking saw it, and no one has really any memory of it. ...as a movie. (laughs) He's like, well, it's something that we saw. Like, we all wanted to see the new Finding Nemo movie. All those characters are back, so we have to see it now. And, like, even if the animation is, like, miles ahead of, like, what the original Finding Nemo was... ...in terms of, like, just that quality... ...like, when you go back to that original Finding Nemo movie... Like, it still is, like, such a great, like, buddy dynamic between, like, opera Books and Ellen DeGeneres and, like, the resolution of, like, seeing them go on that arc versus uh, Nemo being with the fish tank people. Like, I love all those side characters so much. And then with Finding Dory, it feels like there's a nugget of idea of, like, oh, Dory has to find her parents. Like, okay, that could be interesting, but why do it have to be another big adventure we have to go on that feels like it's imitating the same beats as the original movie? I definitely agree. It just imitates so many of the same beats front to back and i would say aside from um ed o'neill's octopus character who i think is just like really well animated and i like some of the stuff with him most of the new side characters or whatever even i think marlin in that movie is so much more aggressively annoying than he was in the first movie. it feels like they just really brought him back to like status quo
0: oh yeah he's a real dick (laughs)
1: right as opposed to like in the original movie that's so great where it's just like oh you see that he's like so protective and you get why because of the motivation at the beginning of the movie but now it's just like oh we have to bring him back so uh he's an asshole and he just doesn't listen and does like has all that growth that he had at the end of the first movie is gone it's a real bummer Um, and it also doesn't help that we've talked about this previously with, like, the reason that movie exists is because Andrew Stanton had just made John Carter after being at Pixar for a while and doing, like, the original Finding Nemo and WALL-E, and he's like, I'm going off to big live-action things, everybody, John Carter! And then slinking back to Pixar, do Finding (laughs) Dory. It's just, like, such a bummer note. Even more so than, like, Brad Bird from, like, Tomorrowland to Incredibles 2. It is, like, such a step down in a really sad way. Because that dude's such a good, like, Pixar story person. Been involved with, like, so many of these movies doing such a great job. Just like, well, I guess it's back to the same aquarium again, kids. It's a shame. Uh, But, yeah, those were our double redo choices. So uh, we'll just repeat our titles here. Um, my good pick was Inside Out, and my bad was Cars 2.
0: And my good was Soul, and my bad was Finding Dory.
1: Yes, and uh, we'll be starting to head out here and doing our picking... For next week, so uh, stay tuned for that at the very end of the show. But we got some other business to do. First, we want to thank some people like Chris Oliver for the intro and after music he used in our show. Listen more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Christian Thorlali for our artwork. Uh, follow him at night of water. That's night with a K underscore of underscore water on Twitter and other places like that uh, for his various great pizza of artwork. And thanks to our loyal supporters on Patreon, patreoncom Pod, Where for just one dollar a month, you get to listen to bonus podcasts that we put out every month, and also get to vote in polls to pick like topics and individual movies we cover, like you all picked Brave for us uh, for this episode, so we really appreciate it, and all that for just the one dollar really helps out everybody, really helps keep the lights on for the show.
0: Yeah. Thanks.
1: <laughs> thanks for noticing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep. 100%. No, thanks, guys. Uh, we We love it. We appreciate it. Uh, you know, a lot of you are good friends of Thomas's and I, I like most of you. Um, so we, we definitely appreciate it. You know, uh, of course, as always, Rafe, fuck you. Uh, you know, I hope you have the worst day ever. So that's all.
1: Rafe, if you're listening, uh, I hope you have a tolerable day, not a good day, not a bad day, but just a tolerable
0: Yeah. No, don't, yeah. Come on. <laughs> don't give him hope.
1: <laughs> well, uh, for more of us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at degbpod, pod And also, uh, you can send us feedback either there or at our uh, email, double gmail at gmail.com, all spelled out. Uh, and you can find me and my own individual antics on Twitter and letterboxes at Not the who's Tommy. And I also do some writing at com and at film-cred.com.
0: Uh, and you can find me on uh, Instagram at atom or adam. that's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. You can find me on Facebook under my actual name, send me a friend request, tell me you're from her fan of the show, I'll accept it. Find me on Letterboxd at Schwanson, that's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N. And you can find me on Raid Shadow Legends as Lightsaber69.
1: Oh, we're, we're pulling out an old dusty one.
0: <laughs> yeah, Raid. <laughs>
1: Champions. <laughs> Exclusive champions. <laughs> well, for more of us, uh, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, why not listen to all the other great shows on the network? Or if you want to dig into our archives uh, on our Podbean main feed, uh, you can go over there and listen to, you know, 190 episodes from before, uh, you know, we were even on the network. And uh shout-out, by the way, we will be putting one of those episodes on uh, the Talk Film Society main feed of uh, the David Cronenberg episode, where we talked about shivers and dead ringers. We're putting that out of the vaults and putting it on there, and there's a little bonus little cookie of an intro at the beginning that uh, is new content for you to listen to. So if you've been listened to that one before, go back and listen just for the intro download. Please do it.
0: I, I can't wait to listen to it. I haven't.
1: <laughs> he recorded and he doesn't remember a thing about
0: it. <laughs> not, not a thing, baby. You know what I do remember how uncomfortable I used to be in my everyday underwear until I found me undies. Now did you know
1: <laughs> We're not sponsored by me Undies your raid shadow legends though, guys. <laughs> yeah, we'll take it. You,
0: <laughs> you gotta you got a prow with your boner, get HIMS
1: <laughs> <laughs> Once again, not, but we will accept money from hims.
0: A thousand percent.
1: Um, but you know, if you can't support us, uh, on the Patreon, uh, it's cool. Money can be tight. The completely free way to help us out is to rate review or simply share the show around because that gets us more visibility out there.
0: Yeah, we totally appreciate it. Money is, you know, tight for everybody. That's why I joined Blue Apron for a low cost of just $10 a month. You get four meals, not a good cook, man. This will guide you step by step. Last night I made steak tartare with a side of arugula salad. It was terrible.
1: What podcast did you steal this copy from?
0: <laughs> no, I did it. I just made
1: it. <laughs> did you go to Mark Marin's garage and steal his fucking copy? <laughs>
0: yeah. Then he punched me in the neck.
1: <laughs> and you were like, "Pow!" I just shit in my pants. Yep. I was like, "Boober lives." <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Adam, we gotta end this episode, and uh, we'll be ending. Oh, Yes, and we'll be ending it by doing our picking for next week's show. Basically, if you're new, every week, uh, Adam and I each uh, have either two good or two bad movies. We switch up on the quality every week for that. Uh, And we assign them between one and ten for for our good choices and our bad choices for the other person. And then the person on the other side of things picks them between one and ten. And thus that gets us, So I'm going to pick number blank, and that's closest to blank bad movie. And then I'm going to pick a number between one and blank. And that ends up closest to blank, which ends up becoming our good movie. But keep in mind, there is a rule, the Godfather rule, uh, where basically Adam and I each have a single veto in our back pocket to use, uh, where um, if we hear one good choice or one bad choice uh, after we you know pick the number between 1 and 10, we have the opportunity once from now until May, our next anniversary, to veto that choice. So if we hear like, oh, I'm going to pick number five, oh oh, that's closest to this particular movie, uh, the other person could be like, you know what, actually, I'm going to take the cannoli. And thus, that means that that choice is gone. We have to go with whatever other choice is there for the picking. And uh, this topic is one we kind of had in the works for a while uh, because this movie that we're tying it to, Black Phone, has moved around the schedule so much, but it's finally coming out. And we're devoting an episode to a person um, who, at least one of us, isn't traditionally the biggest fan of Mr. Ethan Hawke. Now, I'm not going to point any fingers. Uh, but, Adam, what do you think of Ethan Hawke as an actor?
0: Well, I like him now, kind of. <laughs> he's gotten better, but I used to fucking hate him. For, for no reason.
1: For, no right, reason. for, a, for absolutely no reason. It's just, <laughs> it's just selfish pity. Just like, I want to work with Richard Link later. I want to be in Gattaca.
0: Yeah, he's all right, I guess. Now.
1: Well, you'll get to talk about how all right you think he is as we talk about him next week uh, for our episode where I have the two good picks for this because I'm more of a fan of Mr. Hawk. You have the bad. So uh, for my two good choices, Adam, please pick a number between one and ten. I go with one. Okay. Actually, at number one... I have a movie with technically one in its title to some degree. I have one of his more recent performances, but one I think he is like so phenomenal, and one that I think he deserved a lot more attention for. I have uh, Ethan Hawke in First Reformed, Paul Schrader's First Reformed.
0: Now, you know, I just recently watched that, and I do have some feelings about it. But good choice. I'm not going to take a canonical. So, what was your other choice?
1: Uh, Well, on the opposite side of things, over at number eight, I had a movie I haven't seen yet. I'll probably watch before we do uh, the next episode, Uh, but I've heard great things I have. An earlier film of his, Gattaca.
0: That's a good one. I do thoroughly enjoy that movie. So, I guess I was wrong about always hating him.
1: (laughs) You wrong? Never. (laughs) I know. I know. You're infallible. This, is, this yeah. completely destroys my entire religious system. I can't believe it. Can't. I'm like him in First Reform now. I know, because
0: you're perfect. You always remember to tell people about the rules of the show and everything. God has left us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, now, Adam, for your two bad choices, uh, I'm going to go ahead and pick uh, number seven.
0: I have a movie that's probably uh, really. Uh, just sort of confirmed my hatred for him. It is a terrible remake of a decent film. It is the remake of Assault on Precinct 13.
1: Oh, okay. So I have not seen this one. I've seen the original. I dig the original quite a bit. Um, and you've hyped this one down, I guess, uh, ever since like we've met uh, we've like had off-air yeah. conversations. You really hate this one, so I'm I'm genuinely curious. I will not take the cannoli. The what was your other choice?
0: My other one is a movie I haven't seen, but it just looks terrible. I have Getaway with Ethan Hawke and Selena Gomez. I think
1: I have not seen Getaway, but the only reason I remember Getaway is one of the few really good jokes from uh, Arrested Development season four was the Getaway song. Like, it was, like, the, the weird song. I can't remember the context of it, but there's that song, like, Get away, get away, stay away, stay away, hopelessly hopeless. And that came out right around the time of that season four episodes. So that's the only reason I remember this movie at all. I'm very good with us all in Precinct 13, though we'll see. Come next week's episode. But, you know, until then, Adam, it's time for us to hit the dusty trail. And uh, the only way we can is with the accompaniment of a Randy Newman song. Hit it, Randy!
0: double dance double bill two guys being friends
1: oh perfect <laughs> randy a real song but here's another oscar for you take it just kidding they're fucking jerks oh wow the satiric wit of randy newman completely subverting my expectations another oscar
0: <laughs> sorry about the kidding thing i just had a rough
1: day